There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction, the podcast about our relationship with clothes and everything else, really. This is episode 51, which means there are now 50, yes, 50 other episodes you can binge on. They include chats with three wonderful actresses, Jane Seymour on Waves, Sarah Parrish on Pixies, and Daisy May Cooper on Bin Bags. But let's get on to today's guest. She's an actress best known for her roles in Brookside, No Angels, Broadchurch, Casualty, Ackley Bridge, and for getting much further than I did in Strictly. It's Sinetra Sarka. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. someone who I'm sad you can't see because she is so familiar to anyone who watches Casualty or who used to watch Brookside. I mean, seeing your face is like coming home. And I am with Sinetra Sarka, wonderful actress known for your roles in Brookside, no Angels, Broadchurch, I forgot about that. Um, Casualty, Ackley Bridge. I mean, there's just what haven't you done? Oh, stop it. I'm so old. Hello, Susanna. I, I feel, I've been growing up in everyone's living room since I was 15 on Brookside and now I, I'm very old. So most people have seen me on something over the years, but yeah, it's not so lovely of you to introduce me like that. Thank you. Well, it's the truth. It is. It's kind of, you know how, you know, we've done a lot of these podcasts now and there's probably only about three people who I just see and I I go I think oh yeah they're yeah hi no it's like I've known you all my life it's even someone like I shouldn't say this but Esther Ranson who's so known to all of us I didn't feel that she's kind of almost like she's been on a poster the whole time a bit like Margaret Thatcher or someone but with you it's like oh yeah hi I love that. I love that. I get that a lot. You know, people on the streets tend to feel like I'm kind of maybe someone who sat on the sofa with them watching telly. I've got, I've got that kind of casual. I don't know what it, I don't, I'm, I'm bigging myself up here, making out that I'm everyone's friend. But I just think maybe because I have played like the girl next door and quite normal down to earth characters, I haven't played those arched villains and I haven't been so removed. Like you say, Esther for me, well, she was like a god growing up and that's life. I just thought she was such an amazing role model just for women at per se. So, the, yeah, you're right. There are so many levels, aren't there, of the different faces you grow up watching on TV. And, of course, remember when I first started, I think Brookside was the first ever show on Channel 4. So it was an epic sort of start to a channel when back in the day when 
we got four channels, you know, so I feel like I was part of a really nice time when people only had a few choices of TV to watch, so that's helped. (laughs) So, my darling, you were raised in Liverpool, and your father, your dad um, was a GP, and your mum was an Indian classical dancer. No wonder you did so well in Strictly. Well, she's actually an Indian contemporary dancer. People tend to oh want to lean. But she did this sort of crazy fusion of bringing classical and contemporary Indian dance to Britain when, I, when, when she first came here because she was taught by um, a dance teacher called Uday Shankar who was very like nouvelle couture he was ahead of his time he was dancing with Rudolf Nureyev he was you know he was really fusing ballet and Indian dance and at, at a time when you know back in the 50s and 60s that probably wasn't the done thing so my mum was part of his troupe and one of his protégés so she c- continued that flavour of bringing contemporary Indian dance to Britain which was again new and she would do dances to Rod Stewart and she would mix it up with tunes poetry she'd do Indian dance to poetry so so she was a bit of a maverick with Indian dance and I as a young daughter just wasn't interested I mean let's be honest my son's not interested in acting he can't bear the fact I'm on tv similarly I was just not interested in my mum's she dragged me along to things and make me dance in some of these things but I wasn't I wasn't as engaged as maybe I should have been so when I did get to Strictly I was crapping myself I was like I should have paid more attention I should have listened to her, <laughs> elbows up, knees bent, you know, I I should have made more attention. But yeah, it was, it was a nicer sort of nod to my mum when they asked me to do Strictly, which, God, I mean, what was I thinking? But yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a lovely, I, I lived in a very eclectic household with a mum who had, um, you know, her love of dance, you know, all around us. But it's, that what, what you've just said about your mum and the fusion of, um, styles and and also kind of continents and different cultures it weirdly I was watching MasterChef last night and it reminds me of you know when a great chef comes in and maybe they've got kind of very traditional English dishes but then they do the Japanese twist or something yeah. It's, it's it's kind of like that. It's quite extraordinary. And, you know, it really does tap into a newness in different people from those cultures. It's a bit like what you said, like Japanese people who try a fusion with Japanese and, I don't know, Italian will be quite piqued. And I think that's what happened with what, what mum did. She'd bring, like, she would compose an Indian dance to, you know, an English hymn. And those lovely old women who grew up loving that hymn would be so piqued by this Indian dance version that I think she was opening up like new ideas and I, you're right it does fusion is a is, is isn't, isn't credited it quite as, as much as it should be but I, I get what you're saying about the food the food side of it mm. yeah extraordinary and did you so I mean does she dress in a traditional way and did that influence you and your style what a great, you know, I'm so great. This is a good, this is a good question you've asked me because no one's ever asked me this before. And it makes me think that, yes, so my mum wore a sari and a red spot on her head, a bindi, every day of her, every day of my childhood. She would pick me up from school in a sari. She would 
she would come rain, no hail, sleet. There was no weather condition that my mum wouldn't wear a full sari, and she would wear a different sari every day. She was very Princess Diana like that, you know. <laughs> and she she'd literally pull out a different one of her wardrobe for the thousands, and that made me very, I think, very conscious of how to dress myself because, of course, when you're born, no one teaches you how to dress. Like, you get to an age, like, I don't know, seven or eight, and you're left to your own devices, really. You know, your mum buys you your clothes, you pick out of that choice, but nobody sits down at school and has a chat to you about style or finding your own. So I was brought up with a with a mum who wore very bright colours, who wore saris, patterned. She wore a red spot on her head. I mean, we stood out like a sore thumb, so I think I was looking for clothes to hide me a little bit so I've spent a lot of my youth experimenting a little bit I think I tried a bit of a you know but for me Benetton rugby shirts like kind of mixing in with the crowd was such my 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 raison d'etre was to blend in with everybody else as much as possible because my mum was so colourful and I don't think I realised until I was a I'd say I was about 30 and I discovered these bright colours work so well with my skin tone and I just denied them. So I think I had grown up feeling I didn't want to be as different as my mum was so proud to be. I mean, it's it's quite an honest confession, but it's true. I think think growing up with a mum who wore traditional outfits um, and she got so many compliments. I mean, people were genuinely telling her she looked lovely and stuff, but I just didn't. For me, it was like, we look so different. <laughs> I mean, I can completely understand that. You know, even, you know, I mean, that mothers and daughters, that's how we, you know, we look at our mothers and we go, I'm never going to be like that. <laughs> you know, and then suddenly you get to that point and you look at yourself in the mirror. I'm starting to do that and I think, shit, I'm turning into my fucking mother. And, <laughs> but at the same time, there must have been a point because for, for, for me, I think the sari is is the most beautiful and elegant and forgiving way to dress. And, and it doesn't matter what your age is, what your size is. Um, you, every woman looks beautiful in a sari. So there must have been some point where you looked at your, your mum and remembered those days and thought, wow. Yeah. Did you ever think that? Oh, totally. You're so, so right. You've hit the nail on the head. Every woman should try a sari at some point in their life. I mean, my friends, when they've had to, you know, when my British white friends have had to try on saris, they've loved it. They've gone, can I keep this? I look so great. You're so right about it being forgiving and your eyes are drawn to different parts of your body. And I remember thinking when I first wore a sari, oh, I look quite good in this. I I don't mind this. Because it really does pick you up. But I, I do look back now at photographs and really kind of, realize what I'd never appreciated which was how 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 she looked good every day because of this uniform a uniform like you say that tends to make people look more good than bad <laughs> and so I, I I really I look back at some of our my childhood photographs and I really see how smart she looked in that outfit and and and, and interestingly nowadays she doesn't wear a sorry every day now she has reverted to like elasticated trousers and tops and but um, I do think I, I will always, my vision of my mum will always be in a very bright, colourful, you know, and, adult, and I, do, I do miss wearing saris because there's not many opportunities. But I have, I went to the BAFTAs in one, I've sort of reveled in wearing them now because I, I do see the power of that, 
that jewel colour in saris is just... Mm. And the draping. And, and it's, uh, the fact that you say it's like a uniform, I mean, to someone who hasn't grown up, with um you know with, with with seeing people being surrounded by women wearing saris to me it does look like a bit of a, not a, yeah uniform you know there are variations in fabric and texture and color but do you think it looks the sari is a uniform to someone who is born into wearing them or are all the subtle differences so in the same way we can have a pair of bootleg jeans um flares skinny jeans they're all different to us is it the same with the saris yeah no i think you're right i think the thing with the saris there's a few different ways you can wear them i think depending on which part of india you come from is you know i've heard my mum referred to or they wear it like this in rajasthan or that's a very punjabi way of wearing a sari some people put the sash on the right some people on the left some people bind it around and bring it forward so there's there's some options but i think the uniformity is the is the fact that this fabric is woven around everybody's body and everybody picks it up and then I mean can you imagine how easy it is to travel if you're if I mean because sari's just literally it's like packing a big scarf isn't it and and the color schemes and the but I think I'll tell you what I think the fashionable element of wearing a sari has become is the is the blouse underneath so those blouses that the the ladies wear underneath that you know if you're just having a normal day you'll wear a plain old blouse but if you're having a special function you'll have one with like embroidery on the back or you'll have something with a a, a polar neck or a kind of halter neck and there's a lot of there's a lot of funk you can do where you don't realize it so I, I think the uniform is the fact is the fact you're wearing a sari around your body and then you bring your own bootleg or your skinny leg through the blouse. I would love to. I mean, you've really inspired me, actually, to kind of now look up the history of the sari and how where it evolved from. And and you're so right. There are, I mean, I don't know India as well as I know Pakistan. I spent a lot of time in Pakistan. Oh, really? And um, in Pakistan, I kind of lamented the fact that it was always the shawar kameez and not the sari because... To me, the shawar kameez, yes, it can be beautiful and it hides a multitude of things, <laughs> but it's it doesn't have the same class as a You're sari. You're so right. But anyway, by the way, Sinetra is so beautifully coloured. You've got these wonderful kind of flamingo pink earrings, bubblegum pink sweater and you're just bursting with color which is and so my sweater actually says girls can do anything which i felt was quite girl power for us today yeah no i've i've really embraced color as the years have gone by i think i've understood how well i can play yeah. with color now but yeah it, it's, it was great growing up in a house where i i was bombarded with color because at least i have some clue about it now mm. And I saw a photograph of you um, when you were a little girl. So sweet. And those red dungarees. I mean, they it, they are exquisite. Do you remember those, wearing those when you were a little girl? I remember them fondly. I mean, again, I, 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 could, I looked like a boy. I mean, my, again, I was reliant on, on parents who had just come over. They came over in 1972. I was born in 73. They'd had a year of being able to, like become a part of Britain and and to dress me in these clothes that were 
not my first choice, but I look at some of the clothes that they put me in and there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of unisex outfits in there, like the red corduroy dungarees, a lot of brown velour trousers knocking about. Um, but then there'd be the bopy hats and the sh- you know, I, I, I don't miss any of those outfits. When I did get old enough to start taking my mum towards the aisles I wanted to shop in, I did go a bit mad with like, raw-raw skirts and pedal pushes, and I did really embrace that kind of fashion for, like, 10-year-old girls. I did like that because there were a lot of ruffled shirts going on. And I think, I think again, because I came from parents who hadn't been born in Britain, I just got dressed the way they thought, well, it's, 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 I suppose all I can think to say to your listeners is, imagine if I said you're going to go and live in I don't know Botswana tomorrow and you're going to have a baby and you're going to have to go around the shops in Botswana and just choose and you're just going to have to go with what you think is right um so I had to I think I look back at those photographs with a smile but I would never dream of dressing my kids in those clothes (laughs) oh they're probably very relieved well they're very fashionable dungarees now for god's sake so you were ahead of your time but you were brought up in a Hindu family and then went to an all-girls convent school. How did that happen? Well, again, it was my mum my just wanted me to go to the best school, and the best school in our area was this convent. Uh, it was a convent where the nuns taught us, and they it was the smallest class. I mean, there were 11 of us in a class, and it was a small private school, which was, you know, again, quite a big deal back then. And in Liverpool, they were just so embracing. I mean, I was the only Hindu in the in the school let alone the class they let me crown I was like I think I was May Queen they they embraced my my presence but I was very aware that I was doing like some Eucharist I know everything about the Bible and like I got a real crash course in being a Christian even though I wasn't a Christian and then the nuns were I think they loved me I did I think I did I was again slightly on my own but I liked being different in this capacity because everyone was just being so lovely to me I think that's the difference about when you're different it's about your first impressions or your first reactions when people see that you're different if some of those first times have been terrible you do get scarred if it has been racist or if it has been prejudiced or rude you know if if it's been remarks that you've heard that you've got that really hurts me then you go through your life associating that with it now for me again thankfully mum sent me from the age of four to a convent where the nuns were nothing but yeah really kind and accepting of me so I feel I avoided a lot of racism because my first blanket impression of people was oh you are all so lovely to me so I don't look for the bad until I obviously have encountered moments but that was a really really interesting thing I've worked out because my first reactions and impressions of mixing as as a different looking person with people was great I've been really fortunate and those nuns have got a lot to answer for that Mm. I mean because nuns can go one of two ways Um, I went to a convent school as well and there were nuns the first three years and they were some of them there was one who was really nice sister alan but the rest were witches i mean they were they were they were witches and i mean that's a whole nother subject but you know what it's the luck of the draw were they trying to convert you to christianity 
No, not at all. I think I just got a good batch of nuns who were on the right side of it. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, our headmistress, the, the most senior uh, nun who everyone was scared of, Sister Annunciata, I mean, when she when she trod the wooden boards and walked, you know, towards us, we would all shake, and she wouldn't. She had very few words to say to any of us. So there was this sort of slightly fear hierarchical nun thing going on. But that, yeah, no, they were they were far nicer than not. There were some of the some of my schoolmates might say different things because, again, maybe they picked on the Christians a little bit more than the lost cause Hindu girl who they probably thought. Oh, let her join in, whatever. <laughs> and are you, um, are you religious now? I don't know. I, do you know what? What does that really mean? Any, again, age comes into this. I am religious to the point that I definitely believe in, in good karma. I do believe in karma. I think a lot of people who aren't religious will agree there is something called karma going on. Um, I believe in, Hinduism's philosophy which is really I think it's one of the easier religions to follow because really what they say is as long as no one's getting hurt you can do it so literally you can rob a bank as long as no one's getting hurt you could you know anything goes it's, it's got this really anything goes attitude about it but there's this sort of clause which says as long as no person repercussions no people get hurt in the process go ahead so I, ha- I wasn't brought up with a I know some friends of mine will will will, will say. I, I mean, I don't know whether it is a good thing or a bad thing, but I didn't get such strict boundaries of that is wrong, this is right, you can't do this. You know, nobody even mentioned things like sex before marriage, or you know, it wasn't kind of condemned. So I do kind of still hold on to some of that. If somebody asked me which religion out of them all I choose, I would probably say Hinduism. But I don't practice as much as I wouldn't say I'm a practicing Hindu. Mm. I, I re- pay respect on the days that you meant to I wear new clothes on the day. today is actually uh new year in the moon is calendar. It? happy new year hi thanks very much um so yes yeah, so i do i do mark occasions and i do make the kids wear new clothes on the specific special festival days i, pe- I, I like some of the traditions you know when i got married to, to scott um only a few years ago my I, I didn't think I needed anything Hindu going on. Um, but Scott was really insistent that he was mixing. He wanted us to mix the cultures together. And he said, let's do something that, that reflects your your heritage. And I was like, OK. So I said to mum, listen, we're going to do some kind of Hindu something blessing. Let's call it Hindu blessing. And I realised how much it meant to me, actually, because as we started talking about it, I was like, oh, what's that thing you do? You put honey on his eyes so everything he sees is sweet. And you put honey on his lips so everything he says is sweet. And you put honey on his ears so everything he hears is sweet. I mean, it's such a, it's like a little fairy tale, isn't it? But that is a custom of that religion. And I, I think there's something nice to pick and choose some of those things when you when you do bring two cultures together. So I know people always enjoyed hearing those sort of little anecdotes of what Hindu traditions and customs involve. That is that is so it's charming. I mean it's just so adorable. I love that. <laughs> and your so your parents, how do they feel about when you at the age of tender age of fifteen got your first break in um Brookside? I don't think they thought anything. It was a little hobby. It was a one-off. It was such a lucky... I mean, I got spotted on the streets and dragged in because Channel 4 couldn't find an Indian girl to play an animal rights activist for one or two episodes. You know, they just went looking on the streets. So nobody would have ever said, you got your career sorted, etc. No, so my parents 
it was a real kind of, oh, what a novelty. You're going to be on TV for a few weeks. Nothing was said about that. But they were very liberal in many ways, but they were very strict when it came to academics. Because my, both my mum and dad are the studious types. And a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners who have friends or who are Asian will know that their, you know, their, their backbone is if you get yourself a good education, you can then provide a great life for you, your family, et cetera, et cetera. So for, for them, the focus was always studies, you know, do your studies, do your studies. And this job that I was doing had nothing to do with studying. So I don't think they thought I was ever going to stick with it. They thought I was going to come back and be a computer analyst or something. I don't know. So they were, they were strict on Make sure you go to university. Make sure you get your qualifications. There was no getting around that. I don't think that if I'd have said, oh, Steven Spielberg's called, I'm off to Hollywood. I don't think they'd have been chuffed. <laughs> but, you, but, but you did go on to university. And you studied. I'm going to have to read this. Hang on, where is it? <laughs> Such a mouthful. Uh, I, I don't even know what it means. Your degree was information systems for business in Europe. <laughs> I mean, what is what that? fuck? What is that? ISBE. We called it ISBE, Information Systems for Business in Europe. What it was, was basically helping companies go from paperized to computerized. So back in 1994, when every doctor's surgery or everywhere was just files they needed to transfer everything onto computers and in order to do that you needed information systems you needed databases you needed to know how to be able to consolidate four filing cabinets into one small screen it was all those sort of algorithms and I mean do you know the real truth I'll be honest with you right I'm old enough to tell the truth now I only did it because I wanted to leave home and have a life and this course offered you a free year in France. If you did this new course, you would get one year living and working in France. And then you come back to your final year. And I literally was running down the stairs. I was saying to my mum, oh my God, I've been accepted on a course. It's a four-year degree, BSc honours. And in the third year, they will pay for us to go and live in France. And, you know, that was a big deal back in 1994. So, that's the only reason I did it. And then everyone was like, what's the actual course? And I was like, I don't know. It's something about, it's just business and French. It's just business and French. So I went around just telling everyone I was doing business and French. Got to university and I was just sat with a group of guys in ACDC t-shirts who were like computer lovers and everyone was, you know, really into their geek. They were there because they wanted to learn how to write algorithms and computer cobalt OOSD object orientated systems development and I was like I'm here for France I'm here for that year in France <laughs> so it's a godsend I managed to get a decent degree I come out the other side but yeah that's what my degree was in <laughs> and, and how was France where were you where were you based oh I thought I was never going to come back I went to a, a lovely place in the Loire Valley called Angers a-N-G-E-R-S. Angers had, it's like, I'd probably say it's very similar to somebody saying you're going in, in Britain, you're going to go and live in the Cotswolds, you know, somewhere which is really picturesque, but not very city. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of not got the spotlight of France on it, but it was beautiful. I made some of my best friends out there. And of course, my franglais. We found our own humour. I just, I really loved the French way of living. That whole having a croissant, and that sounds so cliche, doesn't it? But the, they do eat baguettes all day long. They do love their, you know, their rare steaks and their frites. And, and I just, 
and the aperitifs and the way that they would eat six courses so refined and oysters and snails. I really loved it. It was, again, another world that my parents had never exposed me to. God knows whose parents exposed them to snails and oysters and mussels and all that beautiful French sort of norm. I loved it. And then I went to work in a bank in Nantes, a Société Générale. Another, it's like working at Barclays. I just didn't have a clue. I went to work in the stock exchange, buying and selling shares for French-speaking clients in English and English-speaking clients in French. I was like the, the work placement girl who was there buying and selling shares for the people who didn't understand the English. So they go, Sorita, écoute. And I go, hello? And they go, oh, hi, I'd like to buy a thousand new indigo diamonds <laughs> in Canada. And then I'd have to go to these guys. Ilva, oh my god, I, mean, I, could, I was like, how have I become the translator for a bank stock exchange? But can you speak French? Can you speak French? Un petit peu, oui, je parle un peu. Not as, not as courant, as fluent, fluently as I used to, but back then, I had to learn the quick way, and numbers, they are the hardest thing in French to ever know, and working in the stock exchange, I think I bought a thousand diamonds instead of selling them once because I just got my numbers wrong. I just got my numbers wrong. I mean, it was really hard with numbers because 4,634 is hard enough to say in English. In English, yeah. In French, they say it like a bloody date, don't they? They say 1994 instead of 1994. It's just... You have to have a maths brain to do that, but yeah, I, but my my love for France didn't it didn't wane. I loved it, and I, I remember saying to friends of mine, "I think I'm going to stay here. I'm going to come back to finish off the degree, then I'm coming here. Forget the acting, forget the everything." But what would happen, right, Susanna? Is every every mo every time I came close to that T junction, a job would come in. My agent would ring and say, "Oh." You've just been offered a such and such, and I think, oh, oh, go on, I'll just do one more, just one more. And the bug must have got in me at some point, because um, I didn't live in France in the end, unfortunately, but I still haven't really. Then that's going, that's the karma coming in, isn't it? It's, you know, so, karma was pulling you back to the UK. Maybe. To an acting career. Yeah, and actually, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been luckier in the fact that I, in some respects... I've been really unlucky because there weren't many peers doing what I was doing. And in another respect, I'm the first person I've seen doing some of the things I've done. So, you know, you can't have it all. I have to take the good part, which is I was the first person that looked like me that I saw on certain types of shows. And that was I'm really glad that I did get a chance to do that. It's groundbreaking. You know what you. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Done, but then, I mean, the Casualty is the longest-running longest show you've worked on. Yeah. And that, oh, my God, Uniform City. I mean, is it relief to turn up on set and know you're going to put on your uniform and not have to worry about anything else or do you just get sick and tired of wearing the same thing well i'm i'm no listen and please don't take offense because it's you weren't meant to know zoe hannah never wore uniform she wore oh, i'm so sorry that's okay she wore yeah. lk bennett tr- dresses and lk bennett six inch heels my life was heels who is this doctor that wears these tight fitting dresses every day for surgery with heels, I kept saying to the producers, stick me in scrubs. And they go, we need a bit of glam in the show. You bring the glams and etc. And I'd be like, these, these bloody heels. And I'd literally swearing, my feet will never recover. Between Casualty and Strictly, my feet are buggered. They are over, <laughs> right? The, the, I, honestly, I went to see a, 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 a what is it, for doctor? The, no, what's the doctor? The... Osteopath. Oh, Oste- no, osteopath, right? I saw an osteopath yeah. about my back and he was a French guy. He didn't know I was on casualty, didn't know I was even an actress, any of that. He's feeling my back and he says something like, you have shock, you have shock in your pelvis. And I was like, really? Went, it's like uh, you do something where life and death, <gasps> I'm going to die, I'm going to live. I'm go-. It's like your back feels like every day you're thinking, I might die. And that's because as an actor in casualty, we would be playing scenes where... It's life or death. Everybody's dying. Call the, you know, get the, re- get aim into resource. Draw a 500 milligrams of adrenaline. Yeah. We were living in takes where we would be go, oh, and my poor back had the shock of the job. And my feet, when he got to my feet, he was just like, what are you, why are you, are you running in high heel shoes every day? And I was like, yes, I'm saving people's lives in, you know, D&G heels like this. We had, I'm pretty sure Amanda Mealing wears the boutons as really? like clinical lead that's the world of tv yes. view and when i meet doctors sometimes they say we're having a zoe day at hospital which means one of us is going to wear a dress and heels so the doctors have taken it in turns in hospitals to have a day when they dress like dr because <laughs> they know it's so outrageous but i do hear the uniformity there is something still even within what you said that that was the uniform for me i would never dream of wearing those things as sinetra every day having a laugh so for me i knew i'd say i'll go for the pink and blue on monday i'll go for the dinner and the costume designer would lay it all out and it'd be my uniform so it didn't become a chore as much once i you know when somebody else is organizing you you must know this is if you go and sort someone's life out they just Mm. think what a joy i don't have to do the hard work myself but also it's so important to I mean, especially in a recurring show that's been going on for so long, to be, you know, that is part of your character. That's building your character. And and um, and I wonder if, you know, if there is something like a real trauma, you're acting a day where there's real trauma, do you wear darker colours? Do they think about that? Oh, that's a really interesting thing to say. No, they don't, funnily enough, but I do. And I think because I know the story that's coming. And and say, for example, I would know 
this story is going to lead to the death next episode of XYZ. I will go, oh, hang on, I'll wear the blue today and I'll wear the black for that episode because she's going to die at the end of that episode. So I think I would maybe tone that myself. And again, for the rest of the team, because they would be in green scrubs, they wouldn't have to worry about that. But you're right, I would flag occasionally I would I would be or I've fallen flat on my face and realize I'm wearing like this bright hot pink shirt and I'm mm. about to walk into a room and tell people that you know their daughter's on life support and you think I wish I was just, I just wish I had something a little bit dark because you know can I put an apron over this can I get me an apron so yeah I, I think you're right it's very interesting you should mention that my costume and emotions and acting does all it does it does all lend itself to each other. Mm. Without question. I think it's, you know, it's like some of the, some actresses I've, I've spoken to, and especially with costume drama, you know, it really, they, for them it's so much, it helps them so much with, you know, if you've got, obviously, if you've got a kind of bone corset on, yeah, it helps them, you know, it helps their posture, but also to get into the time period, you know, the, the time into this sort of 19th century and, to be kind of quite physically quite stiff mm. and so for you as a doctor um you know to wear those quite tight fitting clothes that gives you the authority it gives your personality that's exactly right you feel a sense of um authority because you're sort of zipped into something that you know is your code of I'm senior, I have some authority, I'm I'm going to deliver some news, whereas the guest artist would be like in T-shirts and jeans and, you know, the people playing the patients are obviously in the hospital gown. So you did have this kind of hierarchy within the wardrobe of, of the show. So, yeah, that's, and, and funnily enough, the show I do now, Ackley Bridge, where I'm playing a Pakistani dinner lady, I mean, you couldn't be more different. And I'm literally a scarf wearing shalwar kameez every day. She's... She's a different brand altogether, and she's. I love this uniform because, as you've said, it's it hides a multitude of sins. You just stick it on, and you stick a scarf over your neck, and you're like, "Bob's your uncle. You're only looking at it. No one's even looking past the hips." So, um, so I found, and again, that outfit helps me become this very foreign woman to me, as just like Zoe in her tight-fitting dresses was very different to Sinetra. I think there's there's a really good way of being able to step into your world. And But the sad truth is you don't want to wear those clothes when you come home. So many actors will tell you, I have bought so many clothes from jobs. and gone, I love that jacket. Can I buy it? You go home and you never wear it again because it just reminds you think you're at work. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but with um, you as the dinner lady, I mean, that's... On the one hand, it's kind of, oh, great, I don't have to think about anything. But also, I would imagine being dressed like that, you're quite exposed because the clothing is so bland that your acting has to work doubly hard. Yes, yes, you are right there. Um, When you go into a humdrum world, so to speak, like a factory world or a world which is seen as slightly greyer than the bright lights of you know emergency medicine then you do yeah you do have but that's great as an actor you know it's just down to you 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 are not distracted by many other things you're gonna stay with me as I tell you and the drama it becomes a bit easier as an actor because you know it's just you and your tools 
I've really enjoyed playing Kenise, this character in Ackley Bridge, because she was, um, you know, she was a real woman's woman, but she was very repressed. She came over from Pakistan at the age of 16, didn't speak the language, was married to a man who ended up having another family down the road. Who she's been, she's been through a lot of stuff, and every series we give her a new kind of colour, a new strength. She sort of divorces her husband in the first year then she finds out her daughter's a lesbian in the next one and then she finds out she can fall in love herself and then she gets a new job and you know we're trying to make women who don't believe well well, women who've never seen themselves on tv because again you've only ever seen a woman with a scarf a muslim dinner lady for example is usually like the woman in the back of the shop that people might see. You won't see her making fun. You won't see her having a personality. You won't see her as the central character in a show. So I really wanted those women who related to her to see that she's finding her feet. And even though she doesn't speak English perfectly, even though she's got certain drawbacks, she's got this strength and we've all got it. And I think a lot of women, people in Bradford, women who I've met and have said, you know, I thought, I'm going to do what you do. I see what you do, and I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to wear my, you know, my best shoes to go to the little, you know, and they literally tell me that they are finding inner confidence by for the first time seeing someone on screen that looks a bit like them, having a bit of girl power gung-ho. So I've really enjoyed playing her, because, again, Dr. Zoe in Casualty, she was a strong, independent woman. She's more like the people that we all see every day. This woman was slightly different so you're right I did have to focus on the acting a lot more to try and connect mm. and it, so you must be traveling quite a lot and in 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 the travel do you have a comfort blanket yes. oh do you know what I'm so I'm just this is so naff but I do travel a lot and I'm forever on trains and I only buy clothes that don't need ironing I'm sure a lot of your listeners will agree with how easy that is to live with but my comfort blanket is I stick me and Scott stayed in a hotel that the hotel that Spice Girls did the tell me what you want what you really really want St Pancras it was some anniversary we made it a special treat and I fell in love with the dressing gown the hotel gave us please don't I know you're shaking did you steal it did you steal it I didn't because it was such a posh place I knew I knew they would I knew they'd come back so they've got a menu of course haven't they this dressing gown was £85, and I was going, how can they charge it? But, Susanna, I wish I could bring it in here for you to feel. You'll never feel towel like it. It's just like, I couldn't get rid of it. I just, I was like, I don't want to leave it. And then, bless him, Scott went down to reception, and he said, you have bought that dressing gown. And I was so excited. To this day, this morning, I had my shower, I put it on. I, I will never tire of... That 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 will never get that will never get binned. I've had it like seven years now. I'm, I'm, it's, it's a keeper. I love it, and it's just so naff that I've chosen my comfort blanket to be a dressing gown. It makes total sense to me. It makes total sense. <laughs> and you're, I mean, you're talking about Scott, your lovely um, husband. Your wedding day and the lead up to your wedding day sounded quite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and basically every bride's worst nightmare so tell me what happened okay right i really could have done with knowing you then i right this is the problem i am an, as an actor you get dressed by so many people all your life and you get so used to seeing yourself looking quite great when it's down to you and 
I couldn't quite work out what to do. I found this wedding dress, I'd say, six months before we were getting married. And I just, I was just like, I've done it. It was almost like it was a chore. It's like, I don't have to do any looking. I've just found this dress. I tried it on. It's great. Of course, I couldn't ask Scott because he's the only person you can't talk to about the dress. So he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, it's done. I'm great. I'm great. Then I took a friend along. A friend and her husband, funnily enough, came along. And their face, ex- their facial expressions when I came out of this dress wasn't what I wanted to see. They were trying their best to say, oh, well, if you like it. And all they kept saying was, well, as long as you like it, as long as you like it, I kept thinking, that is not what I wanted to hear. So I changed my mind. I was like, so I said to the shop, I know I paid for this. Could I change it? They said, yeah. So I changed it to another dress. Showed my sister on FaceTime. She was like, are you sure? Are you not rushing this? I was like, no, I really want this done. So I settled on another dress. We had all these fittings. We had oh, all these. Sorry to interrupt you, Sinatra. What was the original dress that you you chose like? What did it look? Like? I feel like I want to send you a picture. It was the it was a sweetheart. Um, uh, it was a sweetheart corset. It was, you know, it was quite a traditional, uh, it had ruches going on in the middle. It was a little bit flushy. You know, it was it was quite a bog standard look, but I liked it. And again, being an Indian girl growing up, you don't dream of the big white wedding in the same way. So just looking at yourself in any white dress goes, oh, I like that. So I might have been a bit rash with that first one. The second one came along. I wish, I wish we could do photographs on a podcast because I would show you. Anyway, I got the second dress and I was like, yeah, it's done. Fittings were done. Everything was done. It was steamed. It was everything. It was two weeks before the wedding. And I kept thinking in my head. Everyone kept asking me about the dress. And I was like, yeah, 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 I've got it. Like, Describe it. And I was like, oh, you'll see it on the day. And then I had this dream. And I woke up. I remember it was the Thursday before. So we got married on a Friday. So it was the Thursday before. the, the, the Literally eight days before the wedding. I woke up. And I just looked at Scott. And I thought, I've, I've made a mistake. I don't want to wear that dress. I got in the car, Susanna. I drove around Bristol and I found a shop which sold wedding dresses. And I walked in and I said, I'm getting married next Friday. Is there any chance you could find me a dress? And this poor woman was like, what, next Friday? I was like, I know, I know. I just don't like my dress. And I've got it in the boot. I've got it in the boot of my car. And she was like, OK, calm down, glass of champagne. She looked after me. She made, she brought out loads of different ones. I FaceTimed my mum and sister at the same time. We were doing it all. In, it was crazy. And I walked. And she was like, you're going to have to give me a couple of days to steam this and get the small alterations. And I spent all that money again and had two dresses. So I drove to my wedding with two wedding dresses in the car couldn't tell Scott no one knew no one knew I had these two dresses and I still kept thinking maybe I'll wear one in the morning one in the afternoon I don't know I just don't know and I realized you know what it was it's bloody Strictly's fault that show made me look so bloody glamorous and amazing I got some of the best I mean I remember Frankie Bridge saying to Vicky can I have a Sinetra dress can I have a dress like every week because I was like that I think that was about 41 or something I was like the nice bracket where they can put put you in a really beautifully you know what it's like Susanna you you get like you get treated like a grown-up you don't get put in the real like the skimpy outfits and they're not making you look like you're you know you're a pensioner you've got that really gorgeous zone of dressing that I've been so spoiled by things like Strictly that I didn't know how to do it for myself and when it came to the wedding I needed some choice or I needed a big a big helping hand so anyway um 
I made the decision the night before the wedding. I was like, I'm going with a new dress. And everyone was like, hurrah. And I was really happy with it, actually. I look back. I have to get, I have to try and sell both of these dresses now. I mean, what am I thinking? But, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a chaotic dress scenario. I'm trying to think where that does come from. Because that, that's kind of a very unusual, I would say, yeah. attitude to... Um, attitude to your wedding day and is it is it someone who has extreme confidence and doesn't really you know it's like it's not so much about what you wear is it someone oh, that's a nice way of putting smart. it that's a nice way of putting it i like what you just said there um what is it i mean where where that's that's quite I know. Yeah, you're a bit of an oddball, Sinatra. I think you're right, because it's so, it's so the be-all and end-of-all of most girls' dreams is, what are you going to wear? How are you going to look? Do you know, and I, that I'm going to sound really soppy now saying this, but I was just so happy with Scott. I just couldn't think of anything that would top the fact that we were getting married. Like, second marriages often have got this sort of gratitude and extra I'm going to do everything different but with Scott it was like discovering a new colour it was like I didn't even know this colour existed so getting married was almost like we have to go through this to carry on being happy and I think because I knew he loved me so much and he thinks I'm gorgeous and all the right things that I didn't really feel too and everyone I was inviting it was a small intimate wedding everyone there loved me I was just so safe that I I kind of think it might be that first thing you said. I just think I felt so comfortable and confident with the people I was going to be with that what I wore didn't really get, like, pole position. And so I ended up freaking out, like, five days beforehand and going, I don't think I like what I've chosen. I'm going to change my mind. Um, And, yeah, and even now when I think back to the wedding, I think less about the dress than I I should. (laughs) So would you say that was your wardrobe malfunction? Oh, God, no. You had another one. No, I've got... I've, I've, well, there's this one really hilarious story. I was thinking about... that. You'd asked me this question, and I thought, is this a wardrobe malfunction? But there was this really big audition going on in London many years ago, before I had Noah. So I'd say it was like 2004. 2004. Sasha Baron Cohen and Larry David were coming together to make this American series about an Indian family that were going to settle in America and it was going to be a fly-on-the-wall mockumentary. So you were going to think this Indian family have turned up in America and they don't know anything and it's going to be very Ali G, very, you know, very, it's got dark humour written all over it. Anyway, I got down to the last two for this part of playing the mum and the audition, would you believe, was the day before Christmas Eve. So it was 23rd of December, 2004 and the audition was at one o'clock I got up in the morning, and where I lived in London, in Streatham, there was a laundrette just down the road. I had my pyjama bottoms on, and my gap hoodie, and I had my white shirt that needed drying in the laundrette. I thought, I'm going to go and get the, this, because if you put it in the dryer, it comes out really clean and blah, blah, blah. So I was going to the dryer, closed the door behind me, and as I'm running to the laundrette, I thought, oh, I haven't got my keys. And I've left the bath running. <laughs> and I've left the bath running. Right? So everything is going through my head now. I'm like, how? What the hell? What the hell? I was like, shit. So I've got this wet white shirt in my hand, which needs drying. I'm in my pyjama bottoms. I'm looking at at the time, and it's like getting on to 12. 
I've got like maybe an hour and a half. I go to the police station and I say, I need to make a phone call. I need to ask the water board to switch off my water. And I need to speak to my agent and let her know I have no money, no keys, no shoes, literally no shoes. I was was running over to the laundrette in my socks. That was the moment of my life that I remember. I I can see it vividly. The policeman's going, sorry, love. I'm sorry, love. That's not an emergency. I was like, I have to be in Leicester Square at one o'clock and I'm... Look at look at me. I mean, I've just about brushed my teeth, probably. So I'm speaking on the phone like this, going, Sarah, I've been locked out of my house. I'm wearing my pyjamas, and I've got a wet shirt in my hand. I've got no money. She was like, get in a taxi. I'll meet you on the other side, and we'll pay for it. So black cab, ridiculous, like 40, 50 quid's worth of taxi journey. Sarah's, my agent's meeting me outside the agency. She gives me a £100 cash and goes, go and get some clothes and get to that audition now. I'm literally running around with a white, crunched-up blouse in my hand. I'm running through boots. I'm using the samples. I'm sticking makeup on. I'm literally foundationing the lot, looking for clothes. It's 23rd of December, Susanna. Oxford Street was manic. It was the worst day you could ever try and buy clothes. So I couldn't buy, I couldn't buy a whole outfit, and I was running out of time. So I just had to, I thought, I'll have to stick with the Gap hoodie and just get out of pyjama bottoms, proper checked like checked, you couldn't pretend, and buy some shoes, so I literally bought the most ridiculous, whatever, whichever shop had the smallest queue, I think it was something like, I mean, I look back now, it was either Monsoon or River Island, one of those had the smallest queue, and I just ran, took everything, could you take the tags off, and ran into this audition with a plastic bag with a wet white shirt in, and sat down, I was like, hi, and they looked at me, and you, you know, I just looked like, how seriously are you taking this job, Sinetra? You know, you come in like the loungy gap hoodie and a pair of really badly fitting grey trousers. That just, it just looked wrong. And it was the worst audition of my life. But I did tell them the story. But that was my... I, I don't know whether you class that as a malfunction. I mean, that is... That, I've got to say, is that... Yeah, you. it is because your clothes let you down. Yes. <laughs> Good job because your bloody clothes let you down and to be honest that's the best story I've ever heard I can't imagine you were going round Oxford Street shoeless in your pyjama bottoms I mean that takes real balls to even do that most people would just go okay well I'm I'm I wanted the job too much I'm not going to do it it was Sasha Baron Cohen it was like this was the job of a lifetime and as it turns out, I found out I was pregnant and I couldn't do it, but <laughs> because it went, but, but the point that that's nothing to do with the story. The point was in that moment of emergency craziness, my clothes were the only thing I couldn't rely on my clothes at all because I couldn't talk myself out of this one. I'd look ludicrous. Um, yeah. And 23rd of December, that's the really important thing. As you will know, shopping, no one wants to go to town that day. <laughs> What happened to the bath? Oh, the bath, bless them. I mean, the police did take that one seriously and they did get the water board to switch off that my flat supply. So that was a good thing. <laughs> wow. Okay. So had you been dressed in your ideal outfit that you might consider a birthday suit? Yeah. What would that be? So I'm a real jackets girl and that might so one of my favourite combos, right, is this gorgeous leopard skin with the hot pink with my yellow earrings. You see you see how that works, you know, you can see that helps me out. all I need is black jeans, black t shirt, this jacket. I think a jacket can often save your 
day and night change you know for me again as an actor jobbing about morning time you could be rehearsing end of the day you're going for like I don't know some kind of screening this kind of leopard print with leopard print with hot pink inside is a real favor I, I would happily wear that on the same vein jackets blazers first and only time I've ever been on the best dress list was the last lot of BAFTAs, whichever one, because we couldn't do the last one because of lockdown. This was a really amazing find that a stylist friend got me from Canham's. And it's an, it, so I think it's got an Indian inspired. It's pearl, it's velour, it's got satin, it's a suit, and it just nipped in at the right, you can't see, but it, and it's, it had that amazing thing, you'll know what it is, those shoulder pads that stick out a little bit more. And it was just like striking, and I was on the red carpet. This, and but the problem is now it's been photographed. I don't know. I want to wear it again. I just don't know when I can get away with wearing these lovely things once they've been like, photographed. Do you know what I mean? It's that is it. That looks very expensive because it looks like the embroidery and the beading's all been hand done. Yeah, you're and, right. Yeah, it's stunning absolutely stunning i know you'd like it and i know you'd also suit it so it's one of yeah, those yeah i would because i'm i think you and i are probably quite similar shapes yeah um yeah, i agree no, absolutely beautiful god well maybe you could lend it to me and i yeah i'm more now. than happy to uh pass it on pay it forward good things come from things like that yeah no so i love that that's so were they my book do you call them birthday outfits yeah i guess so it's something that makes you feel a million dollars so yes nail on the head what's yours out of interest can i just ask you what yours is my birthday suit the thing that i feel best in is jeans great pair of jeans and a t-shirt really and my birkenstock sandals when the weather gets warmer i i I find it really difficult now to um, dress up because I just feel it makes me feel awkward. It makes me feel old. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. You look fabulous. Sorted every time, and maybe a little jacket, but uh, an evening dress. Literally, the thought of it brings me out in a rash now because I just look like I'm with you, like Dowager Duchess. You know these great big tits and just. Oh, oh, not bad, you anyway, you look. You do rock a good pair of jeans. Your jeans are good, but Sinatra, listen, I won't take up any more of your time. And as I knew you would be, you, you're an absolute joy, and I've so loved talking to you. And I just, you just, oh, oh no, thank, no, do you know what? Thank you for asking me questions I've never been asked before. Because after thirty odd years of being on telly, you know, you do end up getting a lot of the same questions. So this has been really lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much, my darling, and you take care, and I send you a big fat kiss. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you, Sinatra. Right, before we go, remember you can drop us a line by emailing us at help at You can find our house band duo at duoguitarmusic.com or at duoguitarmusic on their socials. And you can find us at mywardmail.com. Follow us at mywardmail on our socials and rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. Phew, bloody hell, that's a mouthful. Anyway, that is it. Thank you so, so much again to Sinetra. You are an amazing woman, and of course to Duo, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon, and until then, my wardrobe 
is officially closed. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.